Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Isabel Casillas Guzman, what a joy to have you. I love even saying your whole name. It's so beautiful. You are the 27th administrator of the Small Business Administration. What an honor to have you there. And I'm just thrilled because most people don't know that you and I are friends. That's right. That's right. That's why it's my joy to be here. Not just friends, but I feel like we were both frontline workers during the pandemic. So we worked together so closely to try to help small business owners and particularly minority small business owners get those PPP loans. And I don't think people know, they see you now as the administrator, that you have been in this fight for small businesses for so long, in fact, from childhood. So I think we have to go there and then we'll tell our our funny stories, doing all our crazy content to try to get people money. But tell everybody how this thing is in your blood because you come from small business. Yeah, well, I grew up in small businesses. My dad started his first practice when I was one year old. So as you know, just in our great work together in California and across the nation, this is a passion area for me. I love small businesses. And really from the get-go, I, I really took a liking to going in with my dad whenever I could, weekends, after schools. It became a summer job. It became a spring break job where I got to see how he interacted with the neighborhood, how he served his community, how his customers, every single person who walked in that door was valuable to him and to our family and to the business and how he built such a strong relationship with his team, the workforce that he hired. And I just have taken away such strong lessons about how impactful small business owners are as leaders of their community, as oftentimes the first employer of many members of the community, and that they also define our neighborhoods and give us the products and services that we rely on every single day in our lives and that we need and want and crave. And that's really when people talk about the backbone of the economy, they're thinking of these great established and new small businesses that really line our main streets, our manufacturing centers, our innovation centers in this country. Well, I think so much about when I started my small business, and I'm sure when you started yours as well, that the Small Business Administration, the SBA, was not really something we even knew about. We've all bootstrapped everything. I tell everybody, I've made every mistake in the book. I bootstrapped myself. I tried to learn everything myself. I didn't think there was money out there. And you have worked for the SBA for a long time, even before you were the administrator. And that is around the time you and I met when you were there before you were the administrator, that I started learning about the SBA and how it's this entity that really is not political. It's mathematical, as I like to say. And it's always there. It's like home for all of us business owners, except so many of us didn't know about it. Can you tell us a little bit about like the history of the SBA? A hundred percent. I mean, and when I started my businesses, I didn't know about the SBA either. You know, I think throughout my journey until I actually started getting engaged in government and learning more about the SBA's programs, it was new to me. Yeah, we bootstrapped, we figured it out. You know, we called our friends and tried to figure out, you know, test our ideas amongst our own little informal kitchen cabinets. But to know that there's this national network of advisors that offer free support and technical assistance around everything from financial to marketing to how to do business with the federal government, you know, you name it. 
But the SBA's journey really started 70 years ago during the Eisenhower administration. At the time, you know, the country coming off of World War II wanted to make sure that we protected and encouraged and really incentivized entrepreneurship in our country. You know, they wanted to make sure we could have competition and that we could have innovation. And we know that that's what our entrepreneurs deliver. And that's what the foundation of the SBA is based on. But that's why we have capital programs, loans and investments for small businesses, as well as non-dilutive grants for innovative startups that are creating new technologies and new science-based innovations. We also have a network of technical assistance providers over 1,600 centers around the country because we know that it's not just about getting the money, but it's learning how to become capital ready and then knowing how to best deploy that capital for the best growth strategy. And so a free network of advisors and supporters who can be a part of your team and Small businesses, you know, we know they do the hard work. They come up with a great idea. They're testing in the marketplace every day. They're implementing across the business, but SBA is just there to provide you free tools and resources to increase your success outcomes. And then, of course, we also want to make sure that there's revenue growth opportunities. So we lean in where we know that our economy needs additional support. We want our small businesses to trade so we can be globally competitive. We want innovative startups to come up with the next product and the next industry for that matter. And so we invest in science and technology-based firms with grants through the SBIR program. But there's endless offerings, no matter what size, if you're a solopreneur, all the way up to a more established, lower middle market size small business, there are offerings for you at the SBA. And one thing that I you know, often don't mention because I'm talking so much about small businesses, but we also focus on resilience. We want to make sure that you can survive whatever disruption comes your way, natural disaster, the pandemic, or any other disruption in a community. And that's why we also do disaster assistance at the SBA for communities, not just the small businesses, but individuals, renters, homeowners, because small businesses need employees and they need customers. So the whole community has to recover. Well, I can't even remember almost before the pandemic because so much has changed for the SBA in general as a brand, something that we knew nothing about. I mean, I remember before the pandemic going to chambers of commerce and having like little old white men with a PowerPoint teaching us about the SBA. And it felt back then to me like a bit of a sleepy brand. And then a catastrophe happens in our country. And all of a sudden, the one place that could help all of us, the money that was saved in this one place that was compounding every year. I remember hearing so much from former administrators. We have all this money in the SBA and it keeps growing every year and nobody uses it because we didn't have a real reason. And then the reason showed up. And then you and I met, you were working in California and I had been doing the Adelante movement and I had my book and we kind of partnered to do content and really talk to the SBA and the local government about how to go get this money. And all of a sudden the SBA became the shiniest brand in the whole country. And so how do you remember that era and that time and made you want to then go become part of it again, but in a bigger way? Yeah. And when we first met, I was serving in the Obama-Biden administration as deputy chief of staff. And 
really diving in and learning about all these exciting tools and resources was really an exciting time. But the pandemic, obviously, it created crisis across our small business landscape and businesses were struggling to figure out how they could survive. And for the pandemic relief programs to come around and the SBA to provide assistance was so enormous. And as you know, in the very beginning, many were left behind. And I think that was the reality. Those who didn't have that banker or that lawyer, the accountant on speed dial, those who weren't completely capital ready with all their paperwork couldn't get after that funding in time. And so when I came in during the Biden-Harris administration, we really tried to focus on making sure we could meet the smallest of the small wherever they were and connect them to capital. But SBA is forever transformed. I mean, we put out a significant amount of money every year. I mean, it's still sizable, 40 to $50 billion a year in capital products deployed across the country every single year to small businesses. And during the pandemic, in total over those you know two and a half years, $1.2 trillion. And so the scale is enormous for any startup can just imagine that type of growth, you know, was astronomical, but we've had some key learnings, but the silver lining was that people learned about the SBA and not only learned about the SBA, but learned how capital could transform their business as well. Because remember these businesses were shuttered, panicked, you know, they didn't know what to do with their workforce, you know, how they were going to pivot and open again. And to get capital to succeed through that and be able to make responsible choices and strategic choices along the way, really also, I think, open people's eyes to the fact that SBA provides other capital products for an ongoing basis and capital can help you grow your business. And I think that's what is really transformational and got me excited about coming back. Of course, I wanted to help save the millions of small businesses that we ended up helping and supporting at the SBA, but I just think it's such an amazing tool And we are a shining light in the globe in terms of these programs. You know, other countries replicate SBA to the T because, you know, there's hardly anywhere in the world that you can go and get the full suite of services that we offer at the SBA to our entrepreneurs. Well, I just think that small businesses are the beacon in the world. I know because I see so many people and I, as you know, meet so many people from around the world and they go, the one thing we covet from the United States is that The same thing that happened to you and me, which is, I always say, if I lived in any other country, let's say in Latin America, would I ever have built the wealth I've built in one generation? Impossible, because there are caste systems where you can't rise up and you can't start a business from scratch and do well. And I think we don't realize, maybe we even take for granted that our small businesses are the beacon of the American dream and that we have to make sure that they do well. But You and I also found out some stuff during the pandemic in terms of not just mistakes in general, but mistakes for small business owners. Like we don't have our accounting and software. So when the pandemic happened and the money came through, many of us didn't have our paperwork ready to go. And when you have a system where the money is first come, first serve, you miss the boat. Or that there are things that we don't even know how to classify ourselves. We don't know how to fill out paperwork. Other people during the pandemic had an advantage if they had a business big enough to have a CFO that could do the paperwork for them. I mean, how many, we must have done like over a hundred events that first year that were just to help people fill out the forms with us. Remember how many we did? Brass tactics, like ask your question. No question is too simple. Let's help you walk through this. Right. 
So this idea that we could do things better. I mean, you've learned so much like I learned doing that work one-on-one with those small business owners, but now you are the administrator. And by the way, you've done a phenomenal job, A, because you love it and you deeply know it, but because you've worked like a dog. (laughs) And I give you so much credit. You have really traveled the country and met everybody and seen the businesses. And so I feel like it behooves me to ask you, and you know, I, I ask you this every time I see you, what have you learned that we could be doing better? Like, are there emerging businesses? Like this whole thing about technology, the whole thing about filling out paperwork. What can you tell us, the small business owners, now that you've met everyone on the planet and you know, <laughs> you know better than anybody, what could we be doing better? And I do think there's so many silver linings from the pandemic. I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, so I, I, I look for the positive. I look where to solve problems and make things better. I'm like all the great small business owners and entrepreneurs out there, but digital, let's start there. I mean, you had to adopt technology in order to be successful, to be able to market or communicate to your customers in a different way or be able to get online and quickly compete for these funds, these dollars that were out there or to have a better sense of your data at any given moment in time and be on the right systems to be able to track your performance. And this, you know, when inflationary pressures, workforce pressures, supply chain disruptions, you had to have such strong insights into what your company was doing in all aspects. And so technology helps you do that. And so in trying to equip the businesses of the future, I mean, businesses have to you know, start digital. When you start your company from day one, make it easier to just plan out your technology resources as well so that your business can have great growth potential. And there's such amazing stories. I I do love that part of my job and why I'm willing to work so hard like a dog. One, my dad (laughs) taught me that hard work ethic, so work nonstop. But it's really inspiring to see what's happening out there in the country. And there's this great woman-owned small business in Las Vegas who had a little boutique COVID hit. She had to pivot online. Everyone had to pivot, the great pivot. She got an e-commerce site. She was doing, you know, about a hundred thousand in sales, but post her launch of her e-commerce website, learning the social media tools, she now does over 400,000. She's trading to 11 different countries. They're buying her products. She's designing more of her own stuff instead of just curating stuff for her boutique. And you know, what a remarkable story, but growing with digital technology is really the future. And then leaning into that, growing global, you know, 95% of the world's consumers are outside of the United States. And this is just such a great opportunity for so many people to leverage diaspora, your language and culture connection, or just leverage opportunities uh, to create more resilience in your revenues by going to trade abroad. So businesses have to start digital, but also start global. You know, I'm really thinking outside the box. And then the other thing is just to be financially ready and capable. And I think this is the most intimidating spot for most small business owners is, as we found, like you said, that, you know, businesses that just didn't have all their full accounting, they didn't have their books in order, you know, hanging on to receipts and trying to track performance that way. You know, businesses do have to learn the rules of the game of the capital markets because you need capital to grow. And self-funding, using credit cards, that just means you have to be outperform and be more efficient than your peers because you're paying more for your capital. And, you know, if anything during this pandemic, we have to take away the lesson that 
businesses have to have strong stewardship by being financially ready and financially capable to really track performance and improve performance. Those are three big ones. I want everybody to hear that again. So making sure that you're digital, that you're thinking global, sell to more people. That's true also of Latinos that only sell to Latinos. We should never marginalize ourselves as a business. We have to you know, sell to other communities. And so national and then global and then being financially ready. And yes, these are all issues we all have and they're very, very difficult. But since you've met so many people, the other question I guess I want to ask you is, we know that the big cities in America now are beyond expensive. LA, even for people with money, New York, even Miami that used to be, you know, Florida used to be inexpensive. Now it's expensive. Since businesses are now mostly digital, do you find that people are moving to more inexpensive places and running their businesses out of there? Do you find that there are more people going inland and going more into the center of the country because it's easier to run a business from there? What are some trends you're seeing happen? We've definitely seen people with a great resignation and remote work potential for so many companies, not all, that you know we've seen people have more flexibility where they're based, 100%. And we've seen a lot of businesses grow outside of city centers that maybe some of the larger corporations went to remote work. They may be, I saw a lot of businesses open up in suburbs where people were working from home, but maybe taking their dog for a walk and stopping by in the new coffee shop or things of that nature. But I would say still the marketplaces determine your location strategy. And I think that for you know some businesses, it's being around your large clients or being in a core neighborhood where there's foot traffic. I, I really think that regardless of what type of business, you, know, you have to be where the marketplace is. And so, you know, I wouldn't say that there's any predetermined strategy for what's going to work best. Clearly, what we're trying to do is make sure that wherever you decide that you're going to stay, that you figure out what the strategy is and how you're going to finance it and what makes sense for your business model. If you have to be in an expensive rent, you know, Main Street area, because you're going to get the foot traffic that bumps your revenues up, then that's the strategy. And we want to be there so that you can get the capital to buy the building and be able to sustain that presence regardless of where the market shifts in real estate. And so I think it's also about knowing what the powers are that you have at your fingertips to get capital to finance and strengthen your assets. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. Can you also tell us about some of these other organizations that fall under the SBA that train people and what they're called? Because I think that's another kind of thing that people don't know. You have such great material and people that really can help people. Well, and it's, you know, great entrepreneurs will tell you that what you should focus on as an entrepreneur is you got to know what you don't know. And that means be sure that you're ready to go out and seek assistance. And we have small business development centers that are located across the country, hundreds of them in communities around in every state. We have women's business centers that focus more on women, but are, of course, inclusive of everyone that really try to help you with advisory services and financial readiness. We have score partners. These are mentors. Some of the most impressive, successful 
business owners who have either left corporate where they launched multiple products in the food business, or they've launched multiple technology companies and exited successfully, and they want to give back. These are peer mentors that can help you with your business level up. And then we have our Veterans Business Outreach Centers for our service members, veterans, and military spouses who are seeking entrepreneurship. And then, of course, most recently, we've launched a community navigator program. Now, in total, we have over 1,600 centers and partners around the country. And these navigators were local organizations who were meant to build trust and build relationships and community because all of us get it. Like you're trying to seek somebody who can advise you, who you can relate to as well. And, you know, I would say that just like you do with the power of your purse, you shop, you go until you find the right fit. It's the same with our centers. We have so many options for you, for you to go out there and find an advisor who can connect with you. But these are all free, available at sba.gov. Get local resources and connect with these folks. And then, of course, my own SBA employees. I have 68 district offices around the country, plus some satellite offices. But they have experts that can help you with the lending issues. They can help you with technical assistance around contracting, doing business with the government, trade, you name it. They are, I call them navigators. They're almost like a a social worker for entrepreneurship in the community. And they can direct you to where you need to go. I just hope more cabinet members do what you do because to really understand the country, you have to do what you've done, which is blanket the country and really go meet those people where they are. And I just feel like there's so much concern right now. People are still kind of bouncing back after the pandemic. And now with AI and things like that, people are saying, are we going to lose our jobs? Is it going to be too complicated for us to include AI? Another thing we have to learn. I'm sure you hear that every day. What do you say about all that? And really this idea that everybody's going to lose their job with AI and Historically, it just isn't true that when new technology comes in, there are different kinds of jobs and there's different strategies for businesses. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And I'll start with something the president always says in the past, and this was years ago, he was challenged to define America. And he says, I can do it in one word and it's possibilities. And we do. I mean, we've been so inventive, innovative, you know, creative across history. And we are on the cutting edge of critical technologies that are going to define our future, including an artificial intelligence. And as the president has said, that this is one of the greatest innovations of our time. But of course, there's huge opportunity presented, but we're going to focus as well on mitigating the risks. And that means making sure that AI is deployed safely, securely, and that our workforce and our small businesses are protected and can continue to compete. And so I actually think that I've come across more small businesses that are leveraging AI to power up their businesses, to be more competitive in the marketplace. And that could be simply using ChatGPT to help you draft that first draft of your message that you're sending out there, your website, you name it. But I've also met incredible businesses that are really using it in a complex way of, for example, a hydroponic farming-oriented company is selling these boxes to grow vegetables and fruits. And a lot of people are buying them around the country. And he's used AI integrated in his customer service so that he could provide 24-7 customer support. A small business owner in Wisconsin is not necessarily going to be up at the same times and servicing all of their communities. So this is a way that they could help deploy. So I think there's positives. In, In terms of 
losing their jobs. What so many experts have said is that with this technology revolution and, and AI in particular, that there's going to be an ability to level up skill sets and do more complex tasks and truly really going to help, in, in essence, level the playing field. So obviously, government and private partners are focused on making sure that we are deploying it responsibly so that we can continue to all receive the benefits of this increased technology and efficiency, including our workers, including our small businesses. I also know that a lot of people have talked about, and I know that the government's talked about and, and your administration's talked about, that there is a digital inequity out there, that not everybody has Wi-Fi. And I know you're doing, the government's doing a lot to mitigate that. Can you talk a little bit about that? I will say that especially during the pandemic, we saw kids having to go into fast food parking lots to get broadband because the school is now remote. Huge inequities that we saw just in our own neighborhoods. So the investments in infrastructure that the president has led is historic because we need to build broadband and give broadband affordable, high-speed internet to everybody. And that's what those investments of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act are doing. Also building our roads and bridges and ports and airports and strengthening American infrastructure, but broadband is infrastructure that we all need. And there's more micro-entrepreneurship when there's high-speed internet. Obviously, of course, telemedicine, telehealth, education. We need the internet to go apply for jobs and compete for jobs and start our businesses. So this has been a priority for the administration. And we've deployed broadband projects around the country, rural America, bringing high-speed affordable internet to urban communities and really making sure that everybody can afford it and get it at high speed. Wow. And I think that's going to make a very, very, very big difference in what's going on. So Let's talk about Latinas and the fact that Latinas are still the fastest growing entrepreneurs in America, followed by African-American women. They're like head to head there. And so that people understand they're the fastest growing entrepreneurs, but they're also the number one emerging market. So they are the shoppers in America. And as you know, I speak a lot to companies and I say, are you targeting us? Are you really marketing to us? So what do you see happening right now? I mean, on the bad side, I know a lot of minority women lost their businesses during the pandemic for many of the reasons we've discussed. So what are you seeing out there in terms of minority women and the building of new businesses? And are they pivoting to new businesses after the pandemic? Yes. I mean, just like we saw them do during the Great Recession and as a result for the last 10 years, women and people of color are starting businesses at the highest rates. And in particular, Latinas and African-American women, and you're right, like head to head, depending on what data set you're looking at. I mean, these two, you know, black and brown women are leading on entrepreneurship and whether it was necessity or opportunity, necessity, meaning they lost their jobs during the great recession or during the pandemic or what have you, or opportunity or just a decision that a lifestyle decision. Yeah. Lifestyle growth potential by doing it myself and creating my own job. But We've seen a historic amount of new business starts. And so new business applications have totaled 14.1 million since President Biden took office. It's now the top year, second top year, third top year in all of history with 2021, 22, and 23, and just incredible rates of entrepreneurship. And that's not seen globally. So we're really, as a nation, leading globally in entrepreneurship. And as we see, it's still very Latina leading in that respect. And we want to make sure, though, that obviously they get the funding that they need to succeed. But 
they're starting businesses in every state, you know, with growth rates in nearly every state. I've met Latinas in Green Bay, Wisconsin, in the middle of Iowa, in Alaska. They are starting businesses across the country, really leveraging entrepreneurship to build wealth for themselves, their families, and their communities. And when you see these women, are you seeing them move to different states and different places than they were used to being? I'm finding Latinas and African-American women now in very remote places, like a lot of people have moved to North Carolina, South Carolina, Alaska. Are we spreading out in different ways to start these businesses? Well, I think so. I mean, just overall, we're becoming a larger part of the population, whether that could have been from military service, settling in bases around the country and then getting familiar with other places or long heritage agricultural track. I mentioned the Latina in Green Bay, Wisconsin, who has a, she actually has a beauty salon. Her family moved to Wisconsin. They were originally ag workers. She opened up her salon and, you know, her dad who worked in the fields his whole life and she grew up until she was young teenager working in the fields as well. Like her dad will go into her business and cry every single time he walks in that door. But whatever the original reason was for relocation, or, you know, maybe there's people seeking affordability or more open space or a different education opportunity, whatever the reason, we are seeing small, you know, Latinas and Latino communities across the country in every state. I'm excited at the fact that many of them are still pursuing entrepreneurship wherever they go. I think it's also some people are leaving certain states and going to others for financial reasons too, right? Because the laws are so disparate all over the country in terms of hiring people and small business and all that. So I I see a lot of people moving. Even though we're having a very tough time right now, things are very expensive. We know we've gone through a lot of difficulty. I know you're a big optimist and you really believe in our small businesses and you believe that we're going to be fine. But Give us the magic prediction for the next few years with small businesses and what's going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, small businesses are a key part of the economy, but being part of the president's cabinet, and I want to say the most diverse cabinet in history, but also the top Latino on the economy as well. And the economic news that we've been getting recently has been really positive. So just in terms of painting the picture of what we've been able to do in recovering from the pandemic during the administration, but really the GDP results have been very strong, you know, 4.9%. We've seen a cooling of inflation. In fact, we just got news that CPI, the consumer price index dropped from 3.6 to 3.2. We still have low unemployment, you know, over 14 million jobs created. I mentioned the 14.1 million new business applications filed. You know, there's just really strong numbers indicating a strong economy, continued future growth. And as we invest in America, not just in infrastructure, but as you know, we're committed to making in America, you know, reassuring, building up our manufacturing and supply chain to strengthen what we produce here in this country, refocusing on innovation and R&D and making sure that we could lead on everything from semiconductors to AI, you, know, you name it, making sure that we're believing in the possibilities of America and investing in them to be globally competitive. Yeah, so there's so much positive happening. And that's where I think there's opportunity for entrepreneurs, whether that's you know going after contracts to build the infrastructure of the future, buying a manufacturing. You know, there's so many great manufacturing stories. 70% of all manufacturers are 20 employees and under. These are the mom and pop manufacturing shops. And so many of those owners are retiring. There's opportunities to invest in manufacturing. 
or you know if it's uh, investment in R&D or innovation, you have an idea for climate resilience or an idea for the future of agriculture technology or health technology, you name it. I think there's an investment in America that's happening, not just from government, but from the private sector as well, that really you know bodes well for those who are out there willing to take the risk, jump in and start their business. And I would leave with that, that there's been continuous studies on optimism and indexing small business attitude and you know, while the, of course there's you know, still concerns about inflation and still concerns about interest rates, you know, with this good news on CPI, we hope to continue to drive the costs down in America so that we can continue to invest in our people, see great employment opportunities, and see our businesses flourish. Well, I just have to say that, first of all, I'm very happy that you're there. I'm very proud of you personally. And I just remember the time we spent during the pandemic, which was on one hand, such a difficult time, but in some ways so exhilarating because we were so engaged in giving back to our small businesses and helping the country get the information to them. And I just remember it as such a beautiful, fun time that I spent with you working together and really doing what we both love, which is helping our small business owners, which to me, there's nothing more important than that in this country. I doubled down on that 100% because it was just such a joy too to work with you in the way you approach things as well. I mean, I think your inquisitiveness is what made you such a great entrepreneur and still does <laughs> to this day. But I think helping break down complex things for people. And that's really what was so motivating through the pandemic to see that aha moment and that hopeful moment in people's eyes when they realized that they could do it too. They could go after those dollars and they could succeed and pivot. So it was a joy working with you. We just had such a blast and we did it in Spanish and in English and we could have done it in any other language too, but we worked with so many cool people like Everett, who's our African-American banker and so many other people that came in and we just all jumped in and we forget that in these difficult moments in the country, we're seeing it happen in other countries, but we come together and we can make unbelievable things happen and we did and it was a beautiful experience. So I thank you and I honor you and I'm so proud of you that you continued on this mission. Thank you. Well, I mean, it was an honor to serve in California as the small business advocate and to have you on the entrepreneurship task force was just a gift to entrepreneurs in the state and across the country. As when we went virtual, we saw everybody. I know. Thank you so much, Isabel. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.